all right, it's going now. Uh, so I, I can't really see you at this point on video. Right. Hold on one second. Let me try to see if I no, can. Dude. Hang on. Oh, okay, I can see. There you go. All right. So now you messed with your camera. Can you turn it okay. back on? Yeah. Okay, cool. There gotcha. Go. All right. Um, well, Anhat, welcome. I'm glad to talk with you. Um, and what I'm seeing so far is, is that you're asking all of the wrong kind of questions. Okay, and the kind of questions that you're asking are quite typical. Everybody wants to know those kinds of answers to where the answers to those kind of questions are kind of irrelevant. But I will start with this, that yes, there are a whole lot of meditation techniques out there. And basically what that means is, is that each individual teacher teaches what he knows best and does not teach the things that he does not know. And therefore, it's not a complete method. And the, and the teaching of the Buddha is a complete method, complete enough to solve the actual problem. And what is the problem is dukkha. People are dissatisfied with their lives. They're dissatisfied with their society. They're dissatisfied with the politics. They're dissatisfied with their car. They're dissatisfied with their job. They're dissatisfied with their teachers. And we are trained to be dissatisfied. That's part of the culture. Humans are trained to be dissatisfied. When we're first born, we're quite nourished. Everything is okay. Mommy's taking care of us. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We don't know how to change our diapers or any of that kind of stuff. But by the time of age four, five, or six, especially age six, all of the nurturing changes into rules. Do your homework. Learn your ABCs. Learn your one, two, threes. Clean your room. Do your homework. Do what you're told to do. And so the whole child's world has changed from, wow, what a nice place this is. I've got a mommy who's going to completely take care of me. Perhaps if I do follow all of these rules and do what I'm told to do, I'll get a mommy to take care of me again. And guess what? That never happens. Whether you call that uh, that mommy Allah, God, or Yahweh, or Eli, or the comma machine, or whatever you call it, it's not going to take care of you anymore. Doesn't matter um. what you follow how good you are at following the rules the whole point of it is that the actual the second noble truth is is that you're the one who's made your own life dissatisfying and it's up to you to make it satisfying again right so i guess and so I guess. enlightenment is greatly greatly overrated Why do you say enlightenment is? Why do you say the sec the the you said enlightenment is very overrated? Can you go into that or explain because why? Because people want it and they don't have it. And when you want something that you don't have, you actually don't even know what it is that you want. When you have something you don't even have, you don't even okay. So you're basically saying. 
so you, you don't make up what it is. And, every, and so there's got to be at least 100,000 and maybe a million different definitions of the word enlightenment. And when each one of those definitions are pinned down, nobody really has an adequate, correct definition of enlightenment. It's kind of nebulous. It's kind of like you won't know it until you get it. But if you don't know what it is, you don't even know where it is or how to get it. So it's a giant catch-22. And that's one of the reasons why, but not the only reason why, um, let us say, um, I, <laughs> I'm looking for a word that's accurate rather than common. Many common words would be like attainment or uh, getting it or whatever like that. But the, uh, the better point is, is that if we understand what is it that's causing our dissatisfaction, that's one kind of enlightenment right there. We turn the lights on, we see the daylight of the day, we actually have enough light that we can see. Right. And what we're looking for is where is the source of the dissatisfaction so that we can drop it. And right. that's the second kind of enlightenment. The second kind of enlightenment is to set down the burden, to stop carrying heavy things. What are the things that are heavy are the things that we've got on our mind? Carrying them around, making them right. heavy. So, uh, I guess, I guess, as somebody kind of talking to you today, I want to say I've come to some type of realization that that needs to happen, the setting down of heavy things. I've done whatever enough meditation to understand that it's important to set down heavy things now my second part of this process kind of goal evolving through my journey is understanding the most effective technique to let down those heavy items the fastest i possibly can i got one life i want to use it well you know so to speak so greed yeah. and ill will are heavy. Yeah, no, I understand. But we it's 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 super easy for for somebody to say greed and ill will is very heavy, put them down. And we all know and I can attest to this. I know that you're right and I agree with you 100%. I guess my well, journey the problem I, is is that you've made those things concepts. Well, right. that's the problem is, is that they become rules, they become concepts. Oh, you should put down greed. Oh, you should put down ill will. No, and I, I say it like that because we all know what we should do. But I guess what I'm searching for right now is just like a concrete technique. Like then, you know, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about is like. What? Do you do? Do you sit down like you know Zazen style and just don't think about anything? Do you do the Goinka body scan method? Do you do a mantra meditation? Do you do? I don't know. You know, transcendental. Why are you interested in what I'm doing? Because I you look care. happy. Because no, you I look mean, happy. Okay, so the right question would be, how can you be happy? Well, yeah, and that's what I kind of that's kind of to the point of why I care is I wanted to learn about what you're doing. I wanted to learn about how 
how listen yes okay here's the point that i have to make to many students and that is is that if i teach many students will take one thing or two things or a few things that i teach and try to fit it into what they already know and believe and that means then that you're going to be full of questions and full of confusions and all of that kind of stuff better way to do it is to just listen and put together what I'm teaching, put together the teachings of the Buddha to understand the teachings of the Buddha. And after you've got a complete understanding of that, what you used to believe is irrelevant. But what you used to believe is also uh, preventing you from listening carefully. It's called confirmation bias. So I warn you to listen carefully other than getting yourself confused by trying to understand it immediately and rather get the pieces. It's almost like imagine that you've got a jigsaw puzzle that's being delivered to you about 10 or 20 pieces at a time, maybe once a week. Best thing to do is to study the pieces that you have without trying to fit them together. Just to take each individual thing as it is without trying to fit it into all of the other stuff. I'm sorry if I came across that way. I was really trying to pay attention to okay. your teachings. Well, and, but if you're ready, then shall we get started? Yes, please, please. All I'm right. very interested. The place to start, always the place to start is at the very beginning where the Buddha, and this is in uh, at least four different suttas, we did a bit of research and we found four different suttas. Um, the one that I use the most is sutta number 22 in the Majjhima Nikaya, the uh, simile of the snake, where the Buddha says that he teaches only one thing, dukkha, dukkha naroda. Okay, so, uh, this is actually in the simile of the snake, and the Buddha has an analogy here that if you pick up the snake correctly, then uh, you will not be in danger. But if you pick up the snake incorrectly, it will bend and twist and turn and wrap around your arm or whatever like that and bite you. And that's what happens with uh, spiritual teachings and Dhamma all around is, is that people don't know how to grasp it correctly, and so they grasp it any way that they can, and it winds up biting them. Okay, I so mean, that's, here you that's are very... with a number of snake bites. <laughs> and what well, you need to be taught is how to pick the snake up. That's what I'm looking for as well. Okay, That's a, so but, uh, the analogy is, is that actually uh, you use a fork, a stick that has a little fork in it, so with the distance from that stick, you can pin that snake down. And it may take more than one of those forks to pin the snake down by the throat. So the way that you pick up the snake is then by having it grasp very, very closely to its head with your thumb on top of its head so that it cannot open its mouth, cannot bite you so long as you've got it 
by the high throat, not the low throat. If you have the, the snake by the low throat, she'll be in a movement to turn around and bite you. So you have to have it at the top of the throat, right on top of his head. That's how you pick up a snake. So we have to pick up the Dhamma also right by the top of the throat that way too. Yeah, and that is the fundamental question, I think, that I'm All searching. Right, well, just listen. Don't ask. Okay. I'm going to talk. I know what I'm talking about it. If you just listen. Sorry. Stop asking questions. <laughs> so, the way that we pick up the Dhamma is understanding that he teaches only one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. That's the only thing that the Buddha teaches. And yet, 10,000 things have been added to that, like 10,000 new snakes. Okay? What are the 10,000? Oh, enlightenment. Oh, um, nibbana. Oh, heaven and hell. And oh, rebirth, reincarnation. Oh, um, magical tricks, magical thinking. Uh, all kinds of stuff are added which makes then it difficult to understand that the actual teachings of the Buddha is only in the sense of getting out of your dissatisfaction and become satisfied with your life. That's all the teachings of the Buddha is about. Which means that we have to do some investigation into the nature of dukkha, where it comes from, and also get into the nature of what it's like to be in not dukkha. Now, many, many people will hear that. In fact, uh, Western Buddhism is actually predicated on the thought of that Dukkha, 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 but they say it like this. Dukkha, Dukkha, Dukkha. Look at the Dukkha. See the Dukkha. Turn around the Dukkha. See that this Dukkha is related to that Dukkha. Get a hold of that Dukkha. Chase that Dukkha down a rabbit hole, down to the bottom of the Dukkha. And when you get to the real bottom of the Dukkha, then you've got Dukkha piled all over you. And that's, that's, that's our society. But the Buddha doesn't teach dukkha that way. He teaches dukkha, dukkha naroda. See the dukkha immediately and come out of it. Avoid it. And so the example that I would give is imagine that a cow farmer has to go to the other side of the pasture where the cows are to tend to them. If he's got his eye on the cow and his intentions to get over to the cows, by the time he gets there, he's going to be literally covered with cow chips. But if that cow farmer, with the understanding and intention that he's going towards the cows, actually looks at where he's going, every place he plants his foot, then he can avoid all of those cow pies and get over to the cows fairly clean. And most of the people are actually then, the practitioners are actually sitting in the field, somewhere down in the middle of the field, laying on the ground, cleaning their boots. The whole point is, don't step in it. You don't <laughs> step in it, you don't have to do any cleaning. So, that's the whole point then, is to come out of the dukkha immediately into dukkha naroda. Go immediately from the first noble truth into the third noble truth. That's How do we the teachings of the Buddha that everybody misses? Okay, the 
Buddha also talks a whole lot, and perhaps you've heard about hindrances and obstructions of the mind. And in the Mahasi method, you mentioned Goenka, you probably heard about the Mahasi method too, because Goenka's method is very close to the Mahasi method. I, I've actually, I've, I've had an uh, opportunity to do three of the Goenka retreats. Okay. And I've, you know, the thing well, is- you're is, lucky, you only did three of them. I did like 30. I believe you, I believe you. And the thing is, it's like, here's my logic. When you're in the meditation retreat and you're doing it, it's very, everything's so clear. Everything's so clear. And. And yet you don't have a great big smile and a yeehaw on your face. You're not dancing around that meditation room with this, with, uh, with the phrase of I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. So yeah. It's not all of that's clear. Yeah. And the other thing is. just it's, sitting there thinking that it's clear and it's not at all clear. Yeah, and the other thing is, is I remember this quote specifically. He says, you're doing a deep surgical incision of your mind. You're going deep in and you're cleansing kind of the sensations in your body and you're purifying your mind. Well, okay. hey, look. I understand that. Imagine this situation then. Let's not go on, but I'll answer it this far. Imagine that you were in the city dump. Yeah. You're in your own private trash. You're in your own sewer. The way to handle that is one of two ways. And the way that they talk about it is, is to dig deep into it. Go through garbage down to more garbage. Get down to the bottom of the garbage. Yeah. That's not the method of the Buddha at all. The method of the Buddha at all is when you see that garbage dump, avoid it. Stay away from it. Another way of thinking about it is pile something wholesome on top of it. Build a golf course. Do something that's wholesome rather than digging in the garbage. Because if you keep digging in the garbage, that means you're just covered with garbage. Right. So that deep incision kind of thinking is exactly the going across the cow pasture, not watching what you're stepping in and getting covered with your own crap. And then you're like, okay, yeah, crap is fine. Everything's fine, huh? Well, well except that you know for sure that it's not. Yeah. You're satisfied with it. Well, yeah, because my thinking is this. Okay, look, if you're saying that my mind is supposed to be purified and I'm supposed to naturally come out yes, with a... Yes, but here's mind. the point. Here's where you're missing right now. And first off, you're back into a bunch of questions. So yeah. let's answer nope. this question and see if we can get back into it. Yeah. The purification has not to be done by sitting in, in your own garbage pit until it's purified. The thing to do is every piece of crap that comes up right here, right now, you throw that out. You don't step in it right here, right now. That's uh -huh. the actual teachings of the Buddha. That's why he called himself Tathagata. That means the one who has gone to the present moment, the one who is here now, the one who can see how things actually are in the present moment. Right? Which means that we do not spend any time digging down into the rubbish. We only see it enough to avoid it. And yet the Goenka method and the uh, other methods 
do a whole lot of garbage, swimming in garbage, noting garbage. Noting everything they see is garbage, and now they're completely covered with garbage, and that's what gives rise to then the 16 stages of insight they have because you're seeing the dissolution, you're seeing the rotting away, you're seeing garbage, garbage, garbage everywhere, you wind up in a position of being in a state of fear, misery, disgust, despair, and then a strong longing to get out of it. Followed by then, finally, the right effort to get out of it. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> right, you're right, you're right. You're trying to uh, get rid of it by digging into it. Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, that, and I'm trying to just. Yeah, I, you could say that. All right. Is that so, what you felt after your thirty retreats? Is that how you felt after going? I mean, thirty retreats is. Yeah, so, I left Blanca because I uh -huh. knew finally after all of that that what he was teaching was not correct. Hmm. Although and how did still, it was only part of the, the story that he was missing out on a ton of stuff. And in fact, they do a little bit of Anapanasati, mostly the step three of the scanning is only step three out of 16 steps. And he mm. misses out on step four completely. Why? Because step four is to in step three is to inspect the body in order to relax it. So that step four is actually relaxing the body. And yet strong determination sittings don't relax the body at all. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's it's, no you have There's no safety, yeah. there's no security, that everything about a Goenka retreat is designed to put the students in suffering and dukkha. It's not designed to take people into the first jhana at all. It never was. So he but talks about to say it is is not even designed. It just happened. Right. He talks about getting to a stage where you you don't feel your body at all. You're complete. He talks about a stage that you're supposed to get to in the meditation. That's and I've he's felt past that. and future oriented. Let's not be past and future oriented. Please set Kawanka down right now so we can learn some Dhamma. Okay. Well, yeah, I, 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 it's hard for me to kind of say anything to that, but I'll quit interrupting and let you finish on your 16 steps because that's well, that was really interesting. It will take me. me three or four talks to get down to the 16 steps. We're starting back at the beginning. Okay. Right at the very beginning, the teaching of the Buddha is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. See the Dukkha immediately and come out of it immediately. There's no after a long process, this happens. No, really what we're practicing is doing it correctly from the very beginning. And as we do that, we're gaining skills so that we can do it easier, faster and deeper correctly. But the way that meditation is called is indirect or actually incorrect, which means that uh, they keep promising results in the future. That you never get. That your results are always right here, right now, right in front of us. This one. 
<clears throat> that you, in fact, can drop your confusion right now. I see the confusion still on your face. And yeah, I got a big smile on. Say, yeah, I got it. Yeah, there's no problem. I don't have to worry <laughs> about the future. Let me worry about right now. But let us not worry about right now. Let's enjoy right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I do. I have like a million questions and I don't want to bombard you. You already called me four times on the question. I'll give you a hint right now. Questions are related to confusions and doubt. Well, yeah, just to get a Yeah, but and and confusions and doubt are a hindrance. You've already we've already established that you know enough about hindrances to know that they need to be removed immediately. Yeah. Okay, so here's a way of saying it to you. Whatever questions that you want answered, you don't need those answers. You only need just enough to practice correctly. And you don't need all the information answered about how to practice incorrectly or why it's incorrect. All you need to do is to figure out how to uh, practice correctly. Well, could you help me figure out how to practice correctly? I, I will if I can get you to shut up long enough to listen. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So back again to the four noble truths is just an unpacking of the of the um, uh, teaching of dukkha, dukkha naroda. That a lot of people think that dukkha comes from the outside that it's there from the outside. And in fact, it's all coming from the inside. It's all coming from our wanting things we don't have or having to endure the things we don't want to do. And the ignorance that we're caught in that cycle, caught in the cycle of samsara of thoughts and feelings and thoughts and feelings and thoughts and feelings. And we don't recognize that we have the power to change our thoughts and to change our feelings. We do have the power to do that, but it's a skill to be developed because we've gotten ourselves into a lot of bad habits, a lot of bad habits of doubts and confusion, a lot of bad habits about uh, the future and the past magical thinking and all of those wind up be hindrance we're actually well skilled and practiced at wanting things that we don't have and so what we're going to start doing is practicing getting the things that are immediately available to us instead of wanting something that's not immediately available to us we start wanting things that are immediately available to us so the first thing that we could say is that it's immediately available to us is a long, deep breath. All you have to do is take a long, deep breath. Right? It's quite nourishing that, in fact, as far as the things that we need, let us say it down at the bottom line in order to survive. You don't need sex. You can go from many people go their whole lives. Others go for years and years. Husband and wife sleep in the same bed and they don't do it anymore. Okay, so sex is obviously not a requirement. And people can go for 30 days without food. We can go four or five days without water. You can't go five minutes without taking the next breath. So in that regard, breathing is actually 
The only thing that's important is this next breath. And why is this next breath important? It's because it's going to keep you alive. So the real point is, is staying alive, being alive. And here we are in a society of people who are alive. They are breathing, but they're not even paying any attention to the fact that they've got the absolute best there is. They're alive and they're breathing. And they say, yeah, but I don't have that Mercedes. Or, yeah, I don't have that girl. Or, yeah, I don't have that enlightenment. So they're out wanting things that they don't have while they're not appreciating the very essence that they do have. So you have to start paying attention to this present moment to recognize that the warning things that we don't have is the cause of dissatisfaction. And paying attention and enjoying the things that we do have is joy. So we have to throw out all of those hindering thoughts, thoughts of wanting something, thoughts of the ill will, thoughts of tea thoughts of confusion, thoughts of restlessness, all of that kind of stuff. We have to see it clearly as dukkha and then throw it out and make a change. Buddha also talks about it in the sense of unwholesome versus wholesome thoughts. Wanting enlightenment is certainly an unwholesome thought. Okay. It's counterintuitive, but I can see your viewpoint. Because it becomes a hindrance. But is okay, go ahead. I'm asking questions again. I'm catching myself. Go ahead. So uh, the whole point in the teaching of the Buddha is right here, right now, make a change from those unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. This is what the Eightfold Noble Path is all about. Now, the Eightfold Noble Path is almost always taught incorrectly. It's taught from an ordinary way rather than an actually effective way. In fact, what the Eightfold Noble Path for most is just a, a, a test question that they know the answer to. But the reality is, is no, the Eightfold Noble Path is not a path at all. There's no path to this. It, this is a bad translation, the word path. Path has the idea like a bicycle path or a footpath. It's a destination. It's a journey to some place. In fact, it should be called the Eightfold Noble Method because there is a method. There is a secret. There is a key. All you have to do is put the key in the door, turn the crank, and push the door open, and there you are in paradise. But many people think that that door is miles or lifetimes away from here. In fact, here it is, right here, right now. Start developing the skill of putting in the key, turning the crank, pushing the door open, and there you are. So, this is what we mean by that. The key is to remember to take a look. So, right noble sati. Wanka talks about it. They talk about, in fact, the, the thing that I find so funny is, is that he talks about Anapana, where the Buddha talks about Anapana Sati. Remember the breath. Keep watching the breath. Well, he does a little bit of that, but also I've heard with Rowenka and on many other cases to not control the breath. You're not supposed to control the breath. But the problem with that is, is that if you don't control the breath, then the mind's going to wander right away again into the hindrances. 
but if you're actually dedicated to taking a long, deep breath, knowing that this is a life-giving, knowing that this long, deep breath is satisfying and it feels good, that means that we've come out of the hindrances of the past and the future and wanting things into enjoying this present moment. You have to practice that over and over again skill now, in the process of learning to control the breath, guess what? You can't control the breath unless the mind itself is controlling the breath. And what I'm talking about here is basically the frontal cortex or the wisdom part of us, that the breath is already being controlled. You wouldn't breathe if you didn't have the circuitry wired into the mind. But it's almost always on an automatic pilot that's based upon our instincts. So people will only breathe according to, let us say, the least amount necessary. So if we start taking long, deep breaths, what we do is we purify the body because we're throwing carbon dioxide out, as well as all of the other impurities, a lot of amino acids and everything. But if we're not breathing well, that stuff stays in, as well as when on an in-breath, we actually oxygenate the body. We make it kind of fit for work. And in fact, when the body's got enough air, it's satisfying. When it doesn't have enough air, we feel um, bad. Suppose somebody's got a heavy pillow that they've got strangled or uh, soddedly over your face and pressing down. You find that unsatisfactory. You don't like that. Or if somebody's choking you by the throat and preventing you from breathing, you don't like that. No. No. Oh, okay. So what we're going to do is start paying attention to doing the kind of breathing that is wholesome, valuable, and uh, let us say life-giving right here in this moment. And in order to control the breathing, we also have to control the mind, which means we're actually thinking about the breathing. We can talk to ourselves about the breathing. And by talking to ourselves about the breathing, oh, what a nice breath this is. Oh, this is a really nice moment. Oh, I feel so relaxed and content. Oh, I feel really safe and sound right now. These are all very wholesome thoughts. Unwholesome thoughts about I can't get enough. I want more. This is not good enough. Those are all unwholesome thoughts. So we have to start looking at our thoughts. Now, the very common question that students have is how do I know the difference between some thought and an unwholesome thought? Well, <clears throat> there's actually three kinds. One is there are some thoughts that we know for sure are unwholesome, at least conceptually so. And so when we catch ourselves with those kind of thoughts, we can recognize them as unwholesome. For instance, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of getting even with someone, thoughts of hurting someone for our own pleasure, thoughts of wanting something that we don't have, thoughts of hating people, thoughts of doing something to get even. All of those kind of thoughts are obviously unwholesome thoughts. Now we can take what are absolutely, without a doubt, wholesome thoughts would be like, oh, I've got nothing to do. Oh, the job has been done. Oh, I can relax. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. No place to go. Nothing to do. The spring comes and the grass grows by itself. 
these are all really wholesome thoughts to have. And so we start paying attention to the kind of thoughts that we have and change those thoughts from unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. This is what the Eightfold uh, Noble Method is all about. And the key to it is to remember to look. Remember to inspect that door. Remember to look at what we're doing. And then we can make a change. So to summarize, enjoy your breath. Consciously focus on your breath. Use the wisdom part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, to focus on enjoying, actively controlling your breath. Your breath. Enjoying so, your breath. Enjoying being here breathing. So when I'm walking around, still be alive. Right. So when I'm walking around day to day, I need to be actively exuding gratefulness, exuding calmness, exuding kind of like the sense of joy. Let me change one thing in that. Not while you're walking around. Remember. No, no. Day to day. No, no. No. The answer to that is no. The answer is when you remember, oh. whenever you remember to do it. So it's and not. You can so, be a grand martial artist. You can be a fourth dan. But if you don't remember the moves, you're not going to take the moves. You're going to get your butt whipped because you don't remember how to defend yourself. Well, until you get better at it, you know, everything well, takes work. That's the whole point. You have to start getting better at remembering. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, what happens is, is that you've made a rule. Oh, I'm supposed to do it while I'm walking around. I'm supposed to do it all the time. And that's the rule. And it's about the future. Rather than think, oh, I can do it right now because I remember to do it right now. <sighs> I actually thought that. <laughs> I was actually thinking that. Uh-huh. That's what sati is, is to remember to come into the present moment right now rather than hoping for the future which is exactly what you were doing with that thought that you just gave me. You're looking at it in the future rather than right now. Take a deep breath. So that's the sati is to remember to look at what you're doing right now and put a stop to it and do something wholesome instead. This is the entire teaching of the Buddha right there. Never mind, start again, as Goenka says. When the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. How many times have you heard that? It was very encouraging when I heard that right. in the Okay, the so the never mind part is because sati has happened and you can see that the mind has wandered away. Definitely. Okay, so the start again then is noble right effort to actually start again. And most students don't do that. Most students, when the mind wanders away from the breath and they come to that point of never mind, they say, never mind, you're a bad meditator. Never mind, this is a monkey mind. Oh, monkey, monkey, monkey mind. Oh, I can't do this practice. Oh, go is full of crap. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And all kinds of unwholesome things happen because we don't do the actual waking up to the never mind start again. Or another way of saying it is, is that once you've fallen into the ditch, there you are in the mud, face down in the mud, 
pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start again. Okay, on down the trail. Enjoy your life. Don't lie and wallow in your own miseries. That's what people do. Right there when Gawanka says, never mind, start again, they don't never mind, start again. They uh, don't even get into the never mind. They say, oh, poor me, I can't do this. Why do they say it like that? Because they're playing the victim's role that they were taught when they were children. And in fact, we are all born as a victim. We can't take care of ourselves. We can't feed ourselves. We can't poop, uh, change our own diaper. There's nothing that we can do. And we're victims when we're very babies. That's why we have the nurturing. The question is, can you start nurturing yourself again and remember to do that rather than hassling yourself the way that you learn to do called school? Well, for me, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you were just giving out wisdom or if you were asking me a question, but I never felt like I was a victim or I couldn't do it. I actually felt like I had the hang of it and I could do it I well. I hear your victimization on a regular basis right now. Whenever you're in a full of doubt, that's the victim's attitude. Whenever you're trying to get information, you're in a victim's attitude. The winner's so, attitude of hot dog, I don't need that. I'm okay already without it. Well, and so you when know, you're in the state of need, you're in the state of victimhood. So don't tell me you don't think or feel like a victim. What you're really telling me is you're not aware at all of what the fact is. You're not looking at what's going on. You're not looking at the fact that you're victimizing yourself with all of your rights, rules, and rituals, and things that you're supposed to do, and all the things that you want. Or in fact, you could drop all of that and just be satisfied right now. Right. Don't need anything. You don't need to know anything. All you need to do is to take a deep breath and relax. Say, got it. Everything's okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. So you're beginning to understand. Great. All right. I'm glad you stopped asking questions long enough to start listening. Because while you're asking questions, you're being a victim. While you're asking questions, you're confused. While you're asking questions, you're in doubt, you're in hindrances. Those are all unwholesome thoughts. The wholesome thought would be, I can do this. The wholesome thought is, yeah, this is all right. I can relax. I can take a deep breath. I can enjoy this moment. Those are all wholesome thoughts. And we have to practice that over and over and over again. A lot of have the idea that they put enough hours into meditation like Goenka recommends. Then after a long while, 10,000, 30,000 hours, 100,000 hours, 50 years of meditation, then suddenly the karma machine is going to walk in and do his magic and do some shakipat on you and say some magic words and then you feel good. And I'm teaching you that you can feel good right now. You don't need to have a future shakipat session. Do that right now. You can come out of the longing for the chalky pot and just enjoy the fact that you can breathe yourself into whatever state that you want to be in right here, right now, by developing the skills to do that. So whatever joy you can find right here, right now, that's good enough. I'll take that. 
And then you keep practicing that way, and guess what? The joy deepens. But if you don't practice joy, you ain't going to get none. If you keep practicing uh, annoying questions, and it's not me that's being annoyed by your questions, it's you that's being annoyed by your questions. Uh, yeah, because I can't get them out, and I feel frustrated because I got to bottle them in. <laughs> I know, I can tell, I can see your eyes moving with all of that. And you frustrate yourself with all of these questions where, in fact, you could just drop them all and say, I don't need to know that right now. I can just be happy at this moment. Okay. And take a deep breath and just relax. I know enough. What do I know? I know that I can remember to look at what I'm doing and stop it, take a deep breath, be in this present moment, and enjoy. That's all we need to know. All right. Well, I'll work. I'm going to, Don Morado, I actually have to go in like five minutes here because I have a uh, I got to get ready for bed. It's about 9.30 p.m. where I'm at right now. But, um, I mean, I, I was just telling you right now, I could chat for about like five or six minutes. And then maybe we can continue like another, like tomorrow or the next day. Because I get it. I get what a you're couple, saying. A couple of days would be good. Yeah, because it's not going to, you can't, like you have to teach nicely. You can't just say, do X, Y, Z, and you'll get, ZXY, you know, it just doesn't work like that. And it's well, that's only life. because the student is so confused about teaching the XYZ that it won't practice it. Well, yeah, and and you kind of drew that out when you were saying, hey, look, just chill. Stop yeah, just with the chill. question. Remember to just chill, baby, chill. But in <laughs> fact, that's the actual definition of the word Nibbana is yeah. just to chill. Yeah, just a chill. The word that was used before the Buddha used it, and it was used in the sense two senses. One is letting food cool after it was cooked, because you can't eat it when it's hot off off the stove. You have to let it cool. So the idea then is to just let your mind cool. Take it out of your own stove. And <laughs> let it cool. That's very interesting. That's funny too. Yeah, because the that... other way it's used is with animal training. That when a dog is barking, he's hot. When the dog is laying down and just comfortable, it doesn't matter if the mailman comes or not. The dog's just chill. Yeah. When he's barking at the mailman, he's hot, not cool. So Nibbana is just being in this chill state all the time. Yeah, just chill. Well, no, Nibbana is being in the chill state when you're in it. And when you're in Nibbana, you're in the chill state. Don't put all the time kind of stuff in this. The Buddha does not teach all the time. He talks right now. Sorry. Chill right now. <laughs> if you can chill right now, then that's developing the skill that you can chill later. But don't worry about later. Worry about developing the skill of chilling right now. Yeah. yeah. I got a lot of I got a lot of curiosity, definitely. Um yeah, I'm actually, I switched over to the TWIM method. Have you heard about that one? No, let's not talk about it, too. Oh, no. We don't no. have enough time. Yeah, we got three minutes here. You're but anyways, sure. I wanted to thank you for reaching or being able to actually talk to me. This is very helpful. And you shed some light on some 
maybe I, I you got to just slow down. I would have gotten further if I hadn't had to keep stopping you to <laughs> yeah. from asking irrelevant questions. Yeah, but you know, it's I'll, I really will follow up with you. I'll follow up with you tomorrow. I have the evenings free, so I'm able to talk. And okay. I don't know what other nobody else is, who's an ordained monk who has over 50 years of meditation experience is going to be able to talk to me via Skype. And so I think I can learn a lot from you, and I really respect the wisdom you have. And well, I have a lot respect. of it has to do with the fact that we can do this one on one. That in yeah. fact, if you had been sitting in the back of a Goenka retreat and heard this stuff, you would have just rain, remained there and confused because in those situations, it's not polite to stand up and to start telling all of the doubts that you have about what the teacher is saying. So that means yeah. that you would have just kept those doubts and you never would have found out. But now you have a one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's going to stop that stuff, cut right through it, and get right back to the point again. That's yeah. the, that's the, the value of having a teacher. That makes right. a big difference. That does. And it's it's actually very joyful to kind of talk to somebody who knows about as much as you do, you know, and I can actually sit I down. Much. I don't need to know much. I already know enough. So don't well, you, say that I know so much. Say that I know enough. <laughs> yeah, you know enough. But you were quoting suttas, and it's like, I don't know the suttas. I can't quote them, you know, it's, and it's. Well, that happened so, with Goenka, that, um, excuse me, with uh, Abhika Buddha Dasa, that he was quoting suttas constantly. And I was so impressed. So yeah. Good. And so uh, now I can quote the suttas, and he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually was watching the the podcast you did explaining your time with your teacher and you were talking about how you were riding a bike into him and the gentleman said he was waiting for you. That was a nice story you you you, uh, you said there on the on the video. That was cool. That was interesting. But yeah, I'd like to get to like maybe next time we could chat about like. Eightfold yeah. Noble Path, Anapanasati method of practicing the Eightfold Noble Path. We can talk about the second noble truth and how deep that goes into the mind. But the thing about it is, is that we don't want to get to the bottom of the mind by throwing, by going through all of the dukkha. What we're going to do is just remove one piece of dukkha at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I've left right now. That's the whole point. Is is that we don't dwell in dukkha. We avoid it. We throw it out. Pretty soon, if, if you walk through your own city dump and you throw out every piece of garbage that you find, pretty soon the garbage dump is not going to be a garbage dump anymore because you threw everything out. So when the doubts come, throw them out. Kind of get a quote. Hey, I can be happy without knowing. <laughs> I'm kind of going to quote Goinka here and say, uh, the conceptual is confusing. I really want to work on understanding this information experientially. And that's the thing. Well, that's why that, I keep telling you to come back and take a deep breath and enjoy the moment. Experience yeah. being right here with me. If you can't do it right here with me, how can I expect you to do it while you're sitting there thinking about all the doubts you have? No, you're right. You're right. Well, let's, so I'll let's try do it again. Let's take a really deep breath and say, wow, this is so nice. 
Yeah, it is nice. It is nice. It is. So Cactus said, practice taking a deep breath and recognizing how nice it is to be alive. You're still alive. With all the crap that you put yourself through, you're still alive. Yeah, I'll give that special attention. So you don't have to keep putting yourself through the crap. You can enjoy the fact that you're still alive. The job has been done now. What job? The job of throwing down, putting down the crap. That is correct. I don't need to know all of that stuff. Just a little dab of do you. All you need to know is to stop thinking about whatever you're thinking about and just enjoy the moment. So I'm going to really work on that. I'm at, you know, well, I want you to work. I want what I want you to do is play practice. All right. Let it be a toy. Enjoy. Don't work. You've been working too hard your whole life. Stop working. Just enjoy this present moment. As if the job, the work has been done already. Don't need to do any more work right now. Well, I'm going to try to sit on that and um, let's pick up where we left off tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, uh, not on a hot, on a hot. Yeah, I'm yes. in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. All right. Well, we'll see you later, Anna Hot. Enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy remembering to enjoy. I will. I will. Thank you. Enjoy your breath. That's what Gawanka should be teaching: is to enjoy the breath. Well, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to learn. Well, I'm going to learn. I, I want to really give you the space and the time to. Okay, we'll start investigating the breath. Start looking at it. Start recognizing how dependent you are on it. Practice not breathing long enough to recognize you really do need that breath. So you next one you have, you can enjoy it. I will. I will. And uh, we'll work. We'll or we'll enjoy. We'll talk. But. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for your time, Damarato. I'm going to head out. All right. We'll see Bye. you later.